Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, the number one rated sportsbook app out there. I'm your host, Rudo, joined as always by AJ Hayfley jamming out to the chip tunes over there. And our DraftKings pick of the week. This time, sometimes the smart money, you just have to go with the favorite. I am taking the Kansas City Chiefs over the Houston Texans. Yeah, they're big favorites, but you know what? I think they're going to cruise to a victory, to be honest with you. And if you want to get fancy with it, of course, you can always take some alternate spread lines. If you think they can cover a big number, go with that and make yourself a little bit of extra money. DraftKings Sportsbook, head on over there and use the code DNVR when you sign up to get a bunch of awesome odds boosts and other options as well. Must be 21 or older. Other terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. Be sure to check out DraftKings.com slash for details, gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. It's officially the first episode of the offseason, AJ. And to go forward, sometimes you have to go backwards. And we need to take a look at what we learned about the Colorado Avalanche this season. From top to bottom, let's start with the team as a whole while going into the season i think there was a lot of upside around the team this is the first year where i came out of it the other side believing that this team is a contender uh yeah <clears throat> i would say this is the first time in over a decade. My gosh, I don't even know when <laughs> the last time I thought the uh, early two thousands, probably. Yeah, I would say this is the first time I've walked out of a postseason feeling like this team was more or less there. You know where you want to be in terms of being a contender. Yep. Um, because let's be honest, one hundred percent transparency here. If they made absolutely no moves whatsoever and just brought the exact same roster back, I would still pick them to finish top two in the Central Division next year. I'm If they made no moves, you would expect them to get to the Western Conference Final. They were four minutes away from doing so with a rash of injuries and a million other reasons as to why yeah. they didn't make it. But 
it that would also it would also help if the other teams also made no moves. But right, right. The point <laughs> the point being uh, that I I don't think that there's when you're talking about room to improve here. I don't think that there is a huge room left for them to get significantly better. There's room to get better. Uh, obviously, special teams they have to improve. In, until you're the best team, you know, there's room to improve. And even when you are, you could still continue to get better. But we're talking about more of a min-maxing this kind of roster than major, 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 major changes here. Yeah. Uh, let's let's go back to last offseason. You could shoot holes in the Avs lineup because they essentially didn't have a second line. Yeah, uh, that, I think that's the, the biggest place to start. Obviously, Sackick went out, got Kadri, got Donskoy, got Burakovsky, and they went at least in the regular season. We can we can break this down in the playoffs too. Is it it was kind of a different story, particularly in the second round. But they went from a team that was the three headed monster and a bunch of third lines, basically, to two bona fide top six lines. Yeah, I mean, I would say I would say that they shored up. They did a really good job of shoring up both their top and bottom six, right? Because that trickle down yeah. effect. Yeah, of when when you get when you get those guys that are legit top six guys, legit second line quality guys, but you don't you keep the guys who were there and you move them down a notch. And then, oh, look, like now they're really good bottom six guys, you know, like, oh, man. Yeah. And- you know, it just it just it it has a transformational effect on the entire forward core. And I think that was the biggest thing that we saw this year in terms of process. They weren't breaking even. They were they were a better process team than the vast majority of teams every single night. Well, top to bottom, too, right? The process wasn't. There were times in the season, times in the offseason where you're like, wow, the Avs literally just built a second line out of their acquisitions. And while that was the case sometimes, the reality was we saw Burakovsky play on the top line. We saw Donskoy play on the top line. We saw Burakovsky play on the third line. The Avs didn't build a second line. They built flexibility into their lineup to where you can play a bunch of people with a bunch of people one way or another. Definitely. So... It's not quite as simple as it looks, I guess, is what I'm trying to say in building the lineup like that. And and there were some things that didn't work either. They tried Kadri on the top line, and they quickly found out that that just doesn't really work. Him and McKinnon couldn't find a way to, to really get the offense going that well together. So they just sat him on the second line for the rest of the season where he excelled. Yeah. And I would say... Coming into the year, we weren't sure about that second line. Yep. It was it was the biggest question mark. It was also the area where we felt that they had done the most work in the offseason. But, hey, they had to replace Carl Soderbergh in a 50-point season. Yep. Alex Kerfoot had a 40-point season. They had to replace those guys. Yeah, you know, uh, Tyson Berry had a 50-point. I had, what, like a 59-point season his yeah, last year in Colorado? 60, yep. So you're talking, there was like, we're, we're talking about, hey, they needed to replace secondary scoring, but they also got rid of all of their top secondary scores in yeah. order to do so. So it was kind of, 
on paper is kind of an interesting approach to it, but a year later, a year removed from that, can we? Would you agree that the Avalanche are in better shape a year rem, a, a year later in 100%. depth scoring? One hundred percent. I don't think it's even close. Particularly leaning on. They got what they wanted out of Kadri. I, I think yeah. that was exactly what they expected, and, and that's fine. But the emergence of Andre Burakovsky is where they really made gains on what they were looking for in, in building depth scoring. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it helps, too. Look, Donskoy was Jonas Donskoy. Probably would have set a career high in points had they played an entire season uh, if he was healthy, which he wasn't. But it... Every single move they made, move they made, even all the way down. If you want to talk about PEB, added scoring to their lineup. Even uh, against a guy like Alex Kerfoot, who was playing wing in the top six, Andre Burakovsky outscored him. Uh, yeah, and that's with an abbreviated season. Yeah, exactly. Like if we're talking about on pace here, you know, Burakovsky put up forty-five points in fifty-eight games. Yep. You know, you're looking at you're looking at an 82 game pace there. Of I haven't done the math, but of certainly well a career high, points. yeah, <laughs> and him pushing us the 60 point barrier. Yep. So that in that regard, the Abs absolutely won all of their offseason moves. Not even against other teams. It's just that all of their moves paid off in full. Mm. Uh, even Jeez. even taking a shot. In the wow, sixty-three. Yeah. Um, even even taking a shot on Valanchushkin worked for the Avs this year. Yeah. And the reclamation project that never works finally works yeah. for once. So, <laughs> it accelerated their timeline a lot, and they had the at the start of the season they had to prove that it was a bunch of moves that everyone believed could work, but it wasn't clear yet. And I think that's the biggest thing we learned about the abs this year is that we'll see how they continue over the next couple of years. But in general, the moves have worked and pushed the abs into a contending hockey team. Yeah. I would say the biggest, the biggest question for them was that second line. Yep. And it's, you have to feel it's solid now. Kadri signed for two more years. Burkowski's an RFA who we'll get into this later, but he will definitely be re-signed um, to some contract. Not not going to walk, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's not going anywhere. So five sixths of of their of their top six next year is locked in already. And Donskoy was the most frequent guy as that sixth one. He's got three years left on his free agent deal. So again, uh, if they if they do nothing to this forward core, if they don't touch it. And they just bring all the same guys back. Um, Especially when you extend it to a top nine. Yeah. You look at the abs as a top nine. You mention those six. You throw in a Matt Calvert, a JT Comfer, for and uh, and Val Nachushkin, who is an RFA as well, so will not be going anywhere. And all of a sudden, you're saying, look the eight of these nine spots are super duper solid in their top nine. You're looking at maybe one more guy with high end skill that they need as opposed to one 
year ago where they were looking at three or four that they needed. Right. You know, the them them rolling out Tyson Jost and JT Comfer and Colin Wilson. Trying in, them in the top six. Yeah. Right. In in certainly top nine pseudo top six roles. Yeah. Uh, in game seven against San Jose just shows you like it's a little different. Whereas there were very real conversations of Tyson Jost being the 13th forward in these playoffs. Yeah. So. Which I think I, to be honest, I think he proved. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even with, even with Nemesnikov kind of with the disappearing act here and there, um, you know, Tyson Jost, I think he he had what one point. Yeah. Did he even score a goal? Yeah, uh, he had one won. point was the goal. That's right. Yeah, he had one point in 12 games where. And even yeah. that, the goal was game one against Arizona. So, well, yeah, game one against Arizona, I believe. Or was it game two? It doesn't matter. Tyson Jones did not. It was the game they yeah. lost. It was that tip. Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, but either way, Jost yeah. did not produce offensively. And that's not the end <laughs> of the world. The playoff Jost conversation that we had after last season, we're not having this season. No, certainly not having that. I think the other side of that conversation, if we're talking about Jost specifically, is his chances of playing in the top six, at least on the Colorado Avalanche, are dead. Um, yeah. yeah. If only because uh, you and I are of the belief that they're going to be aggressive in adding a legit top six guy, a proven guy. Um, and with, again, with them already having five of six spots filled and him being behind a whole bunch of other guys already, this isn't the conversation anymore. Yep. Still he's going to, he's going to sink or swim as a bottom six guy. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. It, it's adding players to your roster. Like the abs did last off season. Part of the outcome of that is your roster is going to get more solidified. And top to bottom, that's what's happened. Even even in the bottom six, they're consistently rolling out a core of players that you can expect something out of, uh, whether it be Matt Calvert's energy or bringing in uh, Nichushkin if he's playing on the third line to be a defensive presence. Mm-hmm. There's no room for any passengers anymore, as Jared Bednar would put it. Yeah. You have to bring something. Yeah, and I think that the the this is where we'll get into the room for improvement. You know, as much as we liked, uh, you know, Belmar was solid this year. I think we saw, hey, there's serious room for improvement there. Yeah, you can get a guy with more offensive upside that can that can that can do something, and you know that's the Shane Bowers conversation. And Matt Nieto's a free agent. Matt Nieto's a free agent, and realistically should have priced himself out of returning to Colorado. This is the Martin cow conversation. It's, it's funny because I think one of the things we learned that maybe we didn't expect to learn this year is we got the chance to see Martin Cout for nine games. We got the chance to see a decent amount of Logan O'Connor in the NHL. And all of a sudden you're looking at these guys and you're saying, you know what? These guys can hack it at the NHL level right now. Mm -hmm. So, it does make some of the depth decisions that the abs have to make this offseason a little bit easier. 
since they've taken a Martin count said, look, this guy got three points in nine games. His worst NHL game this year was rock solid. Logan O'Connor plays honestly a game. That's not that different from Matt Nieto. He has a bunch of energy can skate. Well, sure. He's not going to win a ton of puck battles for you, but if that guy can PK, you're having that conversation as well. Yeah. So that was something that I was a little surprised by. And you know what? In a perfect season where the abs aren't injured into oblivion, they probably don't even find that out. But instead, this is where they're at now. And all of a sudden, they have a little bit more flexibility with managing their money when it comes to depth players. Yeah, um, and I think I think that they are the top of the roster is about to get so expensive that they're gonna they're going to be forced into a position where they can't continue to find solutions. It's uh, it's the reality of every contending team. Yeah, that you have to take advantage of the ELCs somewhere. They they can't they can't keep f- either finding solutions or just throwing money at their bottom six deficiencies. They've got to develop them. They've got to develop and kind of find those holes uh, or f- fill those holes internally with kids that they draft, kids that they develop, kids that they groom for specific roles and say, hey, this is what your future is. This is where you're going to head. You know, you you had a Shane Bowers, had a very good second half of his first pro year. You know, Martin Cout had a, had a great finish and – they they were so insistent on protecting his ELC that he's sitting around in the Czech Republic doing God knows what right now. Yeah, the, I mean, let's face it; they played Sheldon Dries in a playoff game, right? And so, without getting into that conversation any further than we need to, it, the time to pull the trigger certainly on Martin Kaut seems to be now. Yeah. If you're gonna baby him that much, he's in your plans. He's he's. If you care about the ELC that much, it's because you're planning on playing him in the NHL. Yep. Just flat out, it would make no sense otherwise. It would be it would just be unbelievably dumb management for them to to act that way to to say, okay, we've we've got Martin Count that we can drop into our lineup and rely on him next year. You know, I'm not saying he has to play every single game, you know, and that he won't get scratches here and there as it becomes a, a a rookie process for him. You know, I'm just saying he needs to be on the roster every day. There doesn't need to be any more up and down. There just just the that needs to finish. Yep. But we have we have the, that's not really what we're here for today. Right. No. We're not we're not getting into what they're going to nope. do from next year. We're talking about what we learned. Kind of went over the forward core. I do want to get into the defense as well, but we do need to take our first period break. Sponsored by Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. You can get eight different types down at the DNVR bar, straight on tap for you. Bunch of amazing beers, whether it be the Avalanche Amber, the Strawberry Sky, the Agave Wheat, you name it. They have a beer for everyone. Of course, if you can't make it down to the DNVR bar, you can always go to your local liquor store or even get it delivered with an app like Drizzly. Be sure to check them out. Use the Breck Beer Locator online to find whatever beer you fancy near you. 
and of course our sponsor for this podcast the DraftKings Sportsbook the number one rated sportsbook app out there they have amazing deals every single week with their awesome odds boosts this week look football is back folks so be sure to jump in get on those football bets while you still can Kansas City Chiefs are not going to lose by 100 points. I can basically guarantee you that. So you can get essentially free money by placing that bet that the Kansas City Chiefs won't lose by 101 points coming up. So jump on it. Get your free money because that's essentially what it is with the no-brainer odds boost. If you haven't signed up, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code DNVR when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week one, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. Bet a dollar to win $100. Can win a ton of money for very easy bets. $1 for 100 in winnings with that DNVR code when you sign up for a limited time. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. Look at that. We've even found Brick Brew all the way out in New Jersey. You love to see it. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That coast to coast, baby. We've had uh we've had some people in between, you know, in Michigan and such that have been they've been trying. Damn it. Sometimes uh, I don't know. I, I've heard it's you can get some of it pretty much everywhere, but some of the uh yeah. the rarer flavors sometimes can be can be hard out there. Yeah, I would imagine getting like the avalanche is not difficult. Yeah, probably the case. So I do want to get yeah, into what kind the- of information do you want on lost leads? Like, do you want their record when? Yeah, I'm pretty sure AJ has their third period lead record or whatever somewhere on hand because I knew it was pretty good. Uh, the Avs were six and one in the postseason. Uh, when entering the third period with a lead. That one loss, of course, being game seven. Yep. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Otherwise, they were one of the league's best teams in the regular season at... um, Yeah, they were some absurd number. Yeah, and not not only was it... um, like percentage wise, but just the raw number of games that they entered the third period with a lead was so high. The other side of that is I think they only came back from a third period deficit like once. Yeah, they did. Yeah. They led the NHL this year and wins uh, when leading out for the second period, they were 34, two and four. So pretty darn good with, yeah, just, and that of the games played, well over half of their games they were leading into the third period. That win percentage, that eighty-five win percentage, is actually was nineteenth, tied for eighteenth in the NHL uh, with Ottawa. Ottawa was seventeen, two, and one. But they so, just, but they had so many more wins, and right? I raw number, right? You're talking um, <laughs> just an outrageous like. They they entered they entered forty of their seventy two games. They entered the third period with a lead, and only lost two of those in regulation. So yep. I would say I I don't know that I don't know that they had a 
I don't know that they had like a major problem. I know anecdotally there was that that one stretch that stretch in December, couple, yeah, where like they blew that Chicago game. They blew you know Carolina. the Carolina, yeah. the Carolina game where they like they entered zero zero and it Got was a lead. A, yeah, they scored and they they got the they got the one goal. It was one nothing. And then Carolina scored on back-to-back shifts, and you were like, "Okay, (laughs) that got out of hand." You know, Um, the they blew the Florida game as well. Yep. Um, Yep. Yeah. So there were a couple that you remember. Uh, There, there were some, but like again, you remember those because they stood out to you for a reason. It wasn't like it was a consistent theme of the year. Where they might have given up a third third period goal, I think they probably did that more than they should have. But yeah, ugh. it's it is what it is. the The Avs defense, though, AJ, did the Avs defense take a step forward this year? Uh, same kind of conversation, right? We talked about Tyson Berry being a nearly sixty point player. Kale McCarr comes in and and nearly replaces all of that. Um, I would to answer your first question. I would say yes. Okay, so they did take a step forward. I would agree. Um, a bit weird to start the season because Ian Cole was was coming off off season surgery. Uh, so we kind of had a conversation, a, a battle for the sixth spot in the lineup, which started with Connor Timmins for a couple of games anyway. Uh, but the Avs ultimately fell into a, a standard everyday roster of Gerard Johnson, Makar, Zadorov, Graves, and Cole. Which, outside of Graves not being an everyday player, was similar to what they ended the year before with. And honestly, the biggest conversation to me this season was Graves and Cole. Yeah. Because both Graves and Cole had excellent regular seasons. Yeah. And then the playoffs were, for Graves, it was a struggle, I'll be honest. And for Cole, I don't, I wouldn't say it was a struggle, but the production that was there in the regular season was not there in the playoffs. And like, you're fine with that. Yeah, right. That's not why Cole's on the team, sure. Yeah, Cole and Graves both. You look at both of their offensive contributions and you're saying great. Thanks. Yep. Take what you can get, but when you're paired next to Kale McCarr, your job isn't to run the offense if you're right. Ryan Graves. Yeah, if you're if you're Ryan Graves and you're on the ice and you're shooting as often as you are, the other team is saying thank you. Yep. Because McCarr was more or less stapled to McKinnon, so uh, which had, means that you at any at, at most the the majority of those shifts you had Miko Ranton and Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr on the ice, and Ryan Graves shooting the puck is a victory for the other team. Yeah, hard to argue with that when you have but the team's most dangerous weapons out there. That said, if a guy has an open look, you're not just sitting there going. Don't shoot it because you're Ryan Graves. Like, take your chance, man. We saw, I mean, Ian Cole hit the post in game seven. Yep. I mean, well, this isn't where I thought this conversation was going, but we saw Nathan McKinnon 
learn how to play like a superstar this year in not in yeah he's going to get his points everybody knows that he's going to score his goals but we saw him drag defenders to him sometimes three defenders on the ice and create Mm -hmm. for his teammates this season like i haven't seen him do in the past yeah i think this was the this was the super saiyan step right yeah like we saw obviously there was the big breakout year and that year um you know, I I was all over it with the home and road splits because he was averaging like 1.8 points per game in Pepsi Center. A monster at home, yeah. And it was like 0. 0.7 points per game And the Amps were the like road. virtually unbeatable at home that year. Right. And and that's because their top line was, it was literally producing two goals a game. Yep. Like they were, they were just crazy pants, right? And then that second year of McKinnon of McKinnon's like leap into stardom into superstardom. The year where he proved he could do it again, essentially. Yeah. And he smoothed out some of the home road splits, but it was still the he was still being driven largely by multi point games. Yep. And this was the this was the regular season and postseason, obviously, uh where it just became every day. He just came to the rink and scored. Yep. Like clockwork. It was something. Um, it, was, it was only something like seven games all year. Yeah. I, I believe I'm looking at it right now. He never went more than two games or he went two games without a point twice. Yeah. And never went three games without a point the entire yeah. season. So it was, it was, I mean, just it, the consistency was there. And then obviously with the, with the postseason, we that's, I think that's where this postseason loss hurts me the most is that we saw an all time great postseason go to waste. Nathan McKinnon, especially in the second round, literally backpacked to this offense. Yeah. And he was, you, it was eerily, like you said, in his first breakout season at home, he was averaging two points a game in this postseason. Unfortunately, he puts up the goose egg in game seven. But when you're talking about him tying a record like Wayne Gretzky for most points in 14 playoff games, that you know you're witnessing something. I'll, I'll put it that way. You- so just just for context here, when the Avs won the Stanley Cup in 2001, Joe Sackick had 26 points. And Nathan McKinnon just had a 25-point postseason. That ended in round two, which he got now, three extra games in, sure. But. Right. There were three extra games from the round robin that are counted into that, but it's... Well, what's the So what's the numbers? McKinnon played 15 games. Joe Sackick played, what, 24? Uh, 21. 21, year. okay. So yeah, 26 it, points in 21 games. So in six less games, McKinnon was one point shy. Yep. That's uh that speaks for itself, I think. <clears throat> that, uh, that the thing with the Avs is particularly in the playoffs, one of the biggest questions we had coming into this season was the Colorado Avalanche's goaltending. Yeah, I think so before before we dig into that, yeah, I think sure. defensively what did we learn? Like Ryan Graves is an everyday guy. Yep. He is an NHL player for sure. 
so you can okay um did we learn anything about anybody else on the defense this year eric johnson got one year older but otherwise we're comfortable with who eric johnson is even now even in an evolved role um a lesser offensive role but he's still a guy that you can roll out there and you feel as a dependable player this was a transition that i think if you were paying attention you could see coming for ej yeah. Um, the rest of the defense. The rest of the defense. Are there any? Was there anything definitive that we learned? Something that we're tr- like legitimately just comfortable with? Is there anything I'm comfortable with? I don't know. Is there the potential for something with Sam Gerard? I think so. Because okay, what do you mean? We saw flashes of the Sam Gerard that can be a two-way defender fully this season. And it came in bursts. The offense wasn't consistent enough. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, personally, I'm not that worried about his next contract. I still think that's super solid for the Avs. But... What, the seven-year deal? Yeah. Oh, dude. The, The question there is... The expectation was Sam Gerrard was going to be the Avs, do everything defenseman, play on the second power play, be an all-arounder for them. And he did that to some extent, but I don't think he played Mm -hmm. offense well enough to completely close that door when you have a Bowen Byram, when you have a Connor Timmins coming. What do you mean? You mean like power play-wise? Yes, exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, I would, I would say that, like, I, I would try both Gerard and Timmons sure. on a second power play unit. I'm, I'm not writing him off either, but like Gerard finished with 10 points in 15 games in the postseason. Sure. He, he so, started slow, but ended up very, very strong. Yeah. Like we don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I think I, I've always kind of been hard on Gerard with the offense um, and always feel like there's more to give. There's more to give. I still feel like that's true. But we also, the fact that he's been here now for, for several seasons makes it easy to forget that he's still just 22 years old. Right. The kid has growing to do still uh, is definitely a factor you have to consider there, which is, He's still two or three years from his physical NHL prime. Which is why, again, I, I think his contract looks it's, great. I have zero complaints. This is already a guy who understands how to play defense at the size that he is. Yeah. And continue. Argue, you could probably make a case for EJ, but I think Sam Gerard was the best all-around defender on the abs this season. Uh, okay. I'm here for it. Uh, who's your argument? Yeah, EJ, no. maybe McCarr on a good day. EJ, well, you're saying all around and EJ's offense was non-existent. This right. Year, exactly. So that's, exactly. that's where I'm saying. I'm, I think, I think I would probably agree with you that all around, um, most polished, um, it, it probably, it probably was Gerard. I think that also speaks to the big flaw still on the defense is that it's still a transition period for them. Yep. 
Um, not complete. What have we What have we learned in this? This is our conversation today. That's this is all about the the today's show is all about what have we learned from the Avalanche this season to help us going into the off season to break down who they should bring back, What's how much next? they should, how yeah. long they should sign them for, how much they should sign them for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What have we learned? And with Gerard, we know that he's a staple. We know he's not a top pairing guy. I think he's a very good second pairing player. He's he's in that regard. He's a lot like EJ on a good team. He could probably be your number two on your top pairing if you needed him to be. But if you want to contend for cups, that's a second pairing dude. Yeah. And I think that the other, the other thing that we learned is that they still have the big hole on defense of they don't, they don't have those horses that they can run out there shift after shift and really rely on where the abs were, where the abs were good this year is that they, they were deeper than most teams. Yep. They had three pairings that were very solid and very reliable that that could do the job. And they did it by committee. They all worked together and they got, they produced high level results without having a true high end top, top, top tier player. With the with the addendum that like Makar is on his way, that like Makar will be that number one guy next year. The thing about Makar is he fits a bit of a different mold, and I think we saw that in the playoffs this year. There's a way that Makar plays to be successful, and that's explosive hockey. So when you try and play a guy who plays like that over 30 minutes. You see him just run out of gas. We saw it in multiple games in the playoffs this year where at the end of the game, he just had nothing left. The Avs don't have that Ryan Suter, I can play 30 minutes every single night type player because I understand how to maintain a certain level of energy throughout the game. Right. You need that horse. You know, I mean, the, the, the Thomas Shabbat, right? Yep. Like guy goes out there and plays 28 minutes a night for Ottawa in games that they're getting crushed, you know, like that's, and, and where they're in a tough spot is that you say, okay, you've used two top five picks on defensemen in the last several years. Can either one of those guys develop into them? You know, is, is Kale, I'm sorry. Kale McCarr is going to be your number one defender. There is, is is he going to be, is he going to be that like huge minute munching, I think I'm I'm open to the uh, I'm, to be honest I'm I'm open to the idea that he will be. This sure. is the first time they've ever tried to do this uh, with him, and he did run out of gas. And so, okay, you're trying to figure out: can you just not use him that way, or is this just a he needs to condition himself in such a way? He needs to maybe change how he's playing during games in such a way that he can manage himself in games, or does he just need to get in better shape? Same Not to say that he was out of shape, just that you need to be in a certain level of it's, conditioning to be able to handle that every other the day. Same conversation as Sam Gerard. McCar's twenty-one. If you give this guy a couple more years to one, get used to the rigors of an NHL schedule, because let's remember he came from college. Yeah. Two, fill out his body, fill out his oh. frame, understand it's a great what point, he actually. needs. Maybe then, yes, he becomes the guy that that plays 32 minutes a night or whatever. But the Avs, 
have done a great job of loading that gun with multiple bullets. Yeah, because then you also have the, I mean, you have Bowen Byram hanging around. Yep. And you and I have both said that we think he's kind of the Eric Johnson-ish replacement here, yep. where he's going to be able to, he'll be able, he'll be able to do a little bit of everything. He could, he could play your PK. He could play your power play. He's going to play a ton at even strength. Uh, that's going to be, that's going to be a guy that helps. Yep. But you're talking about a 19 year old. Right. There's not only is there physical maturation, but there's the fact that he has zero NHL games played. You're trying to win a Stanley Cup next year. You're probably not turning over the keys to Bo and Byram right away. So certainly not as a top pairing guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what did in in seeking to answer the question about the defense specifically, what did we learn? You know, I saw some people in the comments saying Timmons is NHL ready. I would agree NHL ready, but that hasn't proven a damn thing in the NHL. So what do we still know? What do we truly know about Connor Timmons as an NHL player? The answer is still nothing. And that's, and it's the same answer. It's the same answer that we have with Bowen Byram. Yep. And that's tough because we learned Ryan Graves is, is a legit NHLer. You can put him there. You, we learned that about, Ian Cole was still Ian Cole, and he had, like, and to credit to Ian Cole, he had a great regular season, and he was awesome in the round robin. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that they can't trade him. Uh, I would say that they probably shouldn't. I can't imagine they get a great return, but. I mean, guys like that go for second and third round picks every year. I guess, but especially, especially going into, but this the is last year of his deal. You're, you're on a collision course with the conversation that we've had every single time it comes up of, Oh, should the Avs play Connor Tim and should the Avs play Bowen Byram? Yeah. You know what you're getting from an Ian Cole, you know, yep. you know what you're getting from a Nikita Zadorov to a certain extent, you know, he has his bad games, but you know, there's a certain level of play there with, <laughs> with, with Zadorov, he's consistent in his inconsistency and that you're you're hoping you're you're just hoping for the best with Z and that when you get a bad game you're able to manage it. Yep. With with Byram and to a lesser extent Timmons, but still Timmons as well. If you're Jared Bednar, you have no idea what you're about to get in any given game. You should say you have no confidence in what you're gonna get. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's a better That's... way to put it. You're 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 not you're not confident in what you're going to see when you you know he gets the tap on the shoulder and he hops over the boards. You're you know what he has in terms of upside, you know what that guy's potential is, but until you see it at the NHL level, you just don't know what it looks like. And with you know, with Kale McCarr, they didn't have to worry about that. They dropped him into the postseason and he was a stud right away. That made it easy to continue to go out and throw him out there. Kale McCarr is going to be the exception to that rule. Like I don't, I don't have any illusions uh, that that Bowen Byram is going to be able to do what Kale McCarr has done, where he just smashes through no. the ceiling and that that's a steal somebody's job and is yeah. just like, okay, I'm here forever. I don't. I think it's going to be a more gradual process. Are so so few in the NHL. right. <laughs> it's basically it's basically Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, and Charlie McAvoy. Yep. So those were the guys who just showed up and were like, "Well, 
we we here now. Yeah. You're not getting rid of us. Sorry. So uh, it will be interesting to see how that all plays out. The, I, more than anything, I think the Avs learned that their defense is close, but probably not quite where they want it to be. Still in a transition period. Yep. And this is going to be one where there's room for movement in this unit. I think when we talked about the forwards, the really it was a top six forward. There's there's one spot, and that's it, basically. Yeah. That needs to be addressed. Yep. Otherwise, they've between bringing guys back and internal replacements in house guys, they're fine. They're set at forward. Yep. Um, you know, between I mean between Bowers, Cout, and and O'Connor, I think they're fine. Yep. With the defense. Timmons, I have full confidence that you could just drop into the NHL and it would be fine. But until you see it, you know, right? it's tough to do that. There's no fourth line for Timmons to kind of work his way into and show that he can do it and then move him on up. You know, there, it's it's not there. For two, just to, to put my cards on the table, I felt the same way about Chris Begra and we saw how what happened there. So, yeah, you don't know until they make the jump. Yeah. And Byram is another conversation where I have confidence that he could be an NHLer, but you don't know exactly what you're going to get out of him, especially in a rookie year for a non even 20 year old kid. Yeah, definitely. And the abs are going to be, it's, it's extremely tough to, try and transition two players in that situation in a defensive core, because there's only six spots. If you have two kids that you're not confident in your expectations out of on any given night, you can't, maybe you can run a seven D core, but it's really, really hard to run eight D regularly throughout a season. Yeah. Seven, you can get away with pretty easily because somebody will get hurt. There will right. be a ro- You're going to need a seventh guy to rotate into your lineup on a regular basis that you're comfortable with playing at least during the regular season. I, it's hard to say. It's hard to say with how everything unfolded that Kevin Kanan should be that guy. I can't say he should be. I, I mean, coming into it, it felt like this was the, they were prepping to re-sign him, and, and but then. Well, now, I mean, you're staring down the the re-signing of McDonald now and saying, look, yeah, this is a guy, uh, maybe, uh, you were more on board with it than I was when it happened. And and look, that's a guy you can sit on your bench and say, we can play this guy at forward or defense. Right. And because of the way that they've, they've used the Eagles and kind of manipulated the, the call up, call down and the way that they've done that, the, his ability to, to play. And, and even during this training camp that they had, he played forward and defense during the same, during the same practices. So yep. um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if McDonald ended up being like this, that the, like their bench body Yeah, <laughs> that they could move back and forth between the two, depending on the day or what they needed or whatever. Yeah. But 
conversation we can get into more as, as the offseason goes on. We do need yeah. to take our second period break here. Green Mountain Dental Group is in Lakewood, and they're the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area. Plus, they're extreme Colorado sports fans just like all of us here. Our sales director, Lindsay, went there a couple months ago to get her wisdom teeth removed, and she said it was literally the best dentist experience of her life. They even send you personal greeting cards to make sure you're doing well after whatever care you get taken and to remind you of your next visit. So be sure to get in with them when you schedule the cleaning x-ray and exam. You get a free Sonicare toothbrush. So that's awesome. I actually need a new toothbrush myself. I should probably go down there and, and, and get a checkup. It's been a minute. Uh, highly recommend them. 15 minutes from downtown Denver and Lakewood. Check them out. Green Mountain Dental Group. Get your free Sonicare toothbrush today. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook with Rudo and AJ. All right, AJ, we saved the uh, the big question in the room for last. What did we learn about the Avs goaltending? And if you answer absolutely nothing, I don't know if I can argue against that. Yeah, trying to say that we learned. What do we know? I, Pavel Francouz is an NHL caliber goaltender. We didn't know that a year ago. I we assumed that because he'd been pretty good in the AHL. He's the kind of guy that succeeded at every level. He's a he's a solid he he's at worst a solid backup, right? That's fair. That is a step that that was taken. I don't. I would not go any further than solid backup, though. Fair enough. He had. A, I mean, they're. It wasn't just the postseason. He there were a couple of moments in during the regular season where they tried to give him the job. And they tried to give him a handful of starts. Yep. Um, that Minnesota game back in December is the one that really stood out to me, where it was like, okay, Philip Grubauer is healthy, and they are giving you multiple starts in a row now because you've played well. Go do the thing, and dude fell apart. It, I think I think they lost. I think he gave up five that night. I believe that's correct. But that's the story for Francois is every time the opportunity <laughs> to take the starting job came to him, whether it was an opportunity given or Grubauer got hurt, mm-hmm. he would be there, but couldn't quite get over the hump of gaining the confidence of the team to say this guy can start. The big the the one thing that Frankie had um, that goes against this case that we're building here was that, that, that stretch where. Yeah. When he really lit fire and gave up what two goals in three games, I think it was, it was, I think it was, I think it was four goals in six games. Yeah. They extended out even further. Yeah. Yeah. And he had that, like he had that like 10 game stretch where it was like, I think, I think it was seven or eight of the games. He was like a 920 save percentage or better. Like it was like the dude caught fire. Yep. But by the time the season had ended, came had come back down. down. Yeah. And then if you watch that, uh, you and I were also the ones who were like, look, he's playing he's gotten, over his head a little bit. <laughs> he's gotten exceedingly lucky in some of these games. Yep. And if, like, you look at that Rangers game, that very last regular season game, yep, 
Um, and you watch that game again, and it's just like, look, like Frankie made some insane saves. That toe, that that toe save that he made on Kakao was obviously huge. But Warren gets lucky, like the you know that he stretched out and Kakao left. I mean, it was kind of indicative of Kakao's rookie season. Yeah, couldn't finish. <laughs> yeah, and. And then there was what I think they hit three or four posts that night. It's a Banajed hit one with like three minutes left in the game or something. Yeah, and and rocked one off the crossbar in overtime. Yep, like like Frankie had been beaten a number of times that night, and it just seemed like he had gotten the bounces all year long, where Grubauer yep. never got them. Yep, and it, that was frustrating. Like it was it was frustrating to watch like one guy consistently like. Because it was like, dude, is the guy just charmed? Like, what the hell's going on here? But, like, you take it. You're not going to, oh, yeah. you know, you don't apologize for success. But it's hard to, It those were the things that gave us pause about Franzos. And then when he, when he, when Grubauer went down, you're like, oh, boy, here we go. All right, well, here, this is it. Like, Frankie's our ride or die. 20 minutes into game one, and you're like, yep, the horseshoe fell out. Yeah, like. I mean, Frankie was right. Was the ride or die? Yep. Four games later, Michael Hutchinson is the ride or die. <laughs> and so you're, and and like we still, we still don't know definitively. Like, was he hurt? What was he hurt with? How much was it affecting his play? Was it something that had happened? Did he get hurt during that stretching in the Dallas series? You know, the timing of that will matter in in the evaluation of Frankie because if he got hurt during that series and he was playing hurt, then you can say, okay, well, that's a compromised guy who we already knew wasn't so good that he could give up some of that, you know, that he could be a compromised high end starter. He was living on a razor's edge already. <laughs> exactly. And we saw the bottom fell out when he gave some of that up. Okay. So is that part of the conversation? Did he just not play well? You know, like that's not knowing the answers to that question makes this very and, hard to evaluate the guy. And likely it's a gray area somewhere in the middle. But either way, he played himself from a conversation of we don't really know who the starter is next year to we might not know who it is, but it's not Frankie. Right. Where you're looking at François and you're looking at his back in his contract and like you're like, hey, he's a fine backup. Yep. I have no problem with this guy as our backup goaltender, but the the other side of this coin, unfortunately for the Avalanche, though, is this was the year that Grubauer was supposed to go out and take the job, and he didn't either. He played well through the regular season. He played great through the first round of the playoffs, and before he got hurt, and game one was obviously a disaster of round two. But mm-hmm. this for was for a goalie that you're saying, look, this is your chance to be a bona fide starter for the first time in your NHL career. Right. He didn't prove to me he can be a cup contending goaltender. I have no problem with the team bringing him back as a backup next year and him being the backup to whatever starter they have. I have full confidence that he can perform better than the 862 or whatever it was he put up against Dallas. Sure. I have confidence that he won't be that bad. I don't have confidence he'll be significantly better, but I'm fine with him as the backup. 
anything more and I'm uncomfortable. With Frankie, to be clear. Yes. So So we've learned that about Frankie. What have we learned about Philip Grubauer? The he needs to not get injured. So granted, this is a season that took what we're in September. Yep. This is a this is a season that took us eleven months to complete. Long way to go. So to say that he had three injuries during this season it feels a little unfair. But factually, it's accurate. He had one minor injury during the regular season uh, where we don't really totally know what went wrong with him. He was out for a, a, a short period of time. And then the second, the second one injury, sure. He gets run into by Ian Cole at the stadium series while he was pitching a shutout, mind you. Playing his best hockey of the season up to that. Yeah. Like we, that was, we've talked about it on this pod a lot, but but like Frankie wasn't the only guy playing crazy good at the end. Yep. Like Grubauer was awesome. He had. Full blown flipped the crazy pants switch. Yep. Okay. Uh, I don't know what that means. I, we just spent 50 minutes not talking about goalies, but all right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Bye. See you tomorrow. <laughs> um. That was so weird. Weird. Um. Yeah. So Grubauer like was playing great, and then look like. You look at his performance during the round robin and up until up until he got hurt after getting lit up by Dallas in the first period of game one, like through Arizona, like did he have to do a lot? No. But right. was perfectly fine. Like it was hard to judge Grubauer. Like no nobody was giving him tons of credit because he had he put up great numbers during that series, right? He was like fourth in the NHL in save percentage coming out of that series, but he also didn't have to do anything. Yeah, the there were two games where Gruber had to do stuff in that series, and that was Game One where he got the job done and kept the Evs in it until they finally broke through in the third period, mm. and then Game Three where Darcy Kemper was actually a brick wall instead of a human being. Yeah, and that one he ended up losing, but. Yeah, and the Vegas game in the round robin was huge too. And then you look at you also. I mean, he give, he gives up a he gives up a three on three overtime goal, yep. which are always the rest of the playoffs, which are always odd, and a penalty shot goal. Yeah, and it's like, okay, really, really going to hold that against the guy? Which, yeah, and. You know, we'll never, unfortunately, know what would have happened in the Dallas series with him, which likely would have told the Avs a lot about his future. But instead, you're working with incomplete information, and Mm -hmm. that information... Can Grubauer be a starter? Yes. Mm -hmm. Can Grubauer be a top 10 starter in the league? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. It's like when he's locked in and he's playing really well, the guy's so good. But we just don't we don't see that for extended stretches. 
Yeah. We don't. When you. I, I, there, ha- there hasn't really. Like his one shining moment as as the Avs starting goaltender was when he basically took the job from Varley. Yep. And played and, really like rock solid against Calgary and then San Jose. Helped, like he yeah, was to round two and, and help them get to game seven. And, and yeah, two, but... he was really, really good during that like two month stretch. But beyond that, it feels like it's been a lot of push and pull and that it's two seasons in a row now where we've seen him take a massive dip in December. And, and this, this dip wasn't as bad as the first one. It wasn't, but it's it was still nowhere near as like, and the goaltending dip as a whole, where for some reason, Jared Bednar just gets blamed for not being able to coach his teams in December or whatever the hell it is. But it was nowhere near as bad this time around as it was Two seasons ago. I mean, two seasons ago, it was catastrophic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they cratered. Like they were, they were as a team, they were getting like they eight, went fifty goaltending. It was insane. It was, I remember because I looked at the graphs like every day that year. They went from like ninety eight percent chance to make the playoffs down to like a twenty percent chance yeah. that year, and they still made it, obviously. But helped that the West fell apart with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and and this year. It went downhill, but it didn't hinder the abs to the point of where you're questioning if this team has a chance. <laughs> yeah. And, and and part of that is the team in front of him was significantly better, but definitely. It, with with Grubauer though, the other thing that I think we have to really, 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 really consider here is the the extent of his current injury. Yeah. If it's significant. They're, look, you know, look like right now. The, the next NHL season is is obviously very tentatively, but it's tentatively scheduled to begin on December 1st. Less than three months away. You know, we've heard uh, there have been a lot of conversations around the league, and I think Frank Saravelli tweeted out today that uh, a lot of people around the league teams are planning for it to be more of a January-February start to the season which would make a lot more sense and yep. and really just fit way 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 better. Yep. But and if that's if if that's the case, then I would say that the chance that something happens with Grubauer I think is lower. Sure. In an off in terms of an off-season deal, but the 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 thing is Joe Sakic has not been shy about addressing weaknesses the last 2 years. He has looked at he has looked at what's been wrong and he said I want to I want to fix this. And it's pretty clear that goaltending is the Avs biggest weakness. Right now, I think it's I think it's maybe their most fixable position because the market is flush with guys that you can you could make arguments are are stronger. Now, obviously some of these guys will get re-signed and they will get taken off the market. Maybe by the time free agency opens, there isn't a Jacob Markstrom. There isn't a Robin Laner sitting on the market tempting you. You know, the, the trade market, some of that's going to get some of that's going to get sorted out because teams will make their moves. They will make their decisions. St. Louis already took a, took a, a step towards that with the Jake Allen to Montreal trade. Yep. So, you know, the these that market right now, I think, is flush with opportunity. If Colorado wants to. I think they could do things. 
are there any clear cut upgrades that are realistic? Like the John 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 Gibson, right? Yeah, John Gibson's not getting traded. Obviously. So, are there any clear cut upgrades available at that position that you can for sure feel like this is a this is a legitimate, no doubt upgrade on Philip Grubauer moving forward? Uh, ask me again if Leonard hits the market. So your answer would be Leonard. Yeah. Is that is that is that the only one? I don't have the confidence in Matt Murray as a significant upgrade, certainly over Grubauer that a lot of people do. Um, I think Markstrom probably would be, but he's thirty, man. He's not exactly a youngster. Well, neither is Leonard. True, but Leonard uh, has a bit of a, more of a track record there. Okay. Um, so you like Markstrom, you like Leonard as as guys that you feel would be upgrades who will who right. have as of right now will be available. Depending on price, depending on you know situation. I if you said hey, you can have Leonard, Markstrom, or Grubauer. Grubauer is my third choice right now. Okay. I think that's fair. I would agree. Freddie's uh, Freddie might be a slight upgrade on Grubauer, but I don't think it's significant for a goalie that costs more. Um, so this is this is where I think it's really intriguing in terms of us talking about it. Is that the the two guys that we would agree are upgrades who are set to be free agents are Lanner and Markstrom. Um. Vancouver, I think, is going to do everything oh, possible yeah. to keep Markstrom. Zero chance that Markstrom leaves. Vancouver. And Vegas, I think, depending on kind of how things go, they could they could make a real play to keep Lanner, but they would have to move Flurry. I mean, given um, the way the situation has played out with Flurry, it seems like Vegas should lean to keep Lanner, but. Right, but then they have to find a taker for Fleury and his $7 million for the next two years. Right. That's, I mean... Not going to come cheap, yeah. You know, maybe maybe we have that conversation instead. You know, maybe the abs do that. Do we have to? I'm, you know... <laughs> that I means think, we have to have the Hank conversation, too? Well, and, and we don't. <laughs> okay, good. Because Hank hasn't shown any... Yeah. Uh, the. I, I, He's Hank locked. has not been a starter for two or three years now. Yep. So I'm I'm good completely ignoring that conversation and moving on. I'm glad because me too. Um yeah, I mean we could have the Tuka Rask conversation, although that again, you're talking about an older guy there where you're putting a band-aid on that problem. But if that band-aid wins you a Stanley Cubs, pretty good band-aid. <laughs> so I think I, I think this is where the position is intriguing. There are a ton of names out there. There are a ton of different ways that they could attack this. And they could they could reasonably do nothing. Honestly, like, like, I'm sorry, you lost game seven on your third goaltender. You could 100% reasonably say, we're going to run this back and just hope for better injury luck next year. I, I, yeah, I know this is this show has mostly been about what we learned, but I think part of what we learned is that applies to more than just goaltending. If they do nothing this off season, you still feel pretty good about the abs. 
Yeah. They're, they're still they're still a high high caliber NHL team. Yeah. Uh, there obviously are situations where they can improve, but they're gonna push to be a top five team in the league as is. And mm-hmm. I don't see an argument about why they wouldn't be, yeah. barring the unknown, obviously. But so I don't know. I guess we learned the abs are pretty good. <laughs> um, AJ, we're over the hour mark here. So final thoughts on uh, on the season that was on the abs. We we learned that. What did we learn? We learned that they. They got better quite a bit in every category, essentially. And in, in, I think in all three positions, I think they feel like they're pretty solid. There's room for improvement, and they're going to have a lot of options to attack those. And that's what this week's worth of shows will probably be about. Breaking all of that down. Um, yeah. yeah. I like it. We're going to get out of here for the day. Obviously, we have you covered all offseason long. We'll be going into free agency, into draft, into trade possibilities. You name it. We'll have uh, all starting this week. I'm going to have player reviews of every single Avalanche player that is staying with the team at the very least. So keep an eye out for those as well. So the season might be over, but DNVR's coverage never stops. Five days a week, we'll be here with the podcast. Obviously, took last day, yesterday off because of Labor Day, but we back, we out here, and we are sponsored by MSU Denver. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. In fact, some of our own staff even took classes over the summer, Ali Monroy and Harrison Wind. So if you have any questions about the experience, be sure to hit them up and they will answer any questions. They are awesome. They said it was a great experience with teachers who come from the field that they are now teaching about. So they're a great networking opportunity as well. Jump on it today and give MSU Denver online a try to continue your education. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope y'all enjoyed us as we are back now and diving into the unknown. Um, Yeah, keep your eyes peeled. If uh, If you're a fan of the draft, get excited because we have a ton of draft coverage coming over the next month or so. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I know still mourning the abs loss a little bit, but onward and upward, as they yeah, say. I'm not. I'm over it. It's done. There you go. So moving forward. Time only goes one direction, and that's where we're headed. On that note, we will talk to you guys tomorrow. taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on that's nice at caskers.com we make this experience easy caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code welcome 10 for ten dollars off your first purchase
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.